This is Donna Watson with My Legacy Experience Podcast. The Legacy Experience LLC is committed to bringing information regarding all aspects of estate planning to underserved, marginalized, and disenfranchised communities. Our goal is to equip you to leave a financial legacy for you, your family, your friends, and the community. Today, we are going to discuss investments and discuss asset allocations and investment strategies. I know for so many novice investors, the idea of investing is so challenging because they don't know where to start and the language can be intimidating. Well, today we are going to demystify the topic and the concept of investing. I'm delighted to have Ethel J. Davis as my guest today. Ethel J. Davis is the CEO and Portfolio Manager of BZD Capital Management, LLC, and it's located in Overland Park, Kansas. She is the first African-American woman to own 100% of a registered investment advisory firm in the Midwest and only a few within the United States. So that's huge, y'all. We're talking about building wealth. Well, this is the kind of company that will help you build that wealth. The first thing you will observe about Ethel is her passion for financial and investment literacy. She has a passion for wealth empowerment and in-depth understanding of the capital markets and a willingness to educate others on creating and sustaining wealth with customized investment strategies. Ethel is no stranger to Forbes magazine, the Wall Street Journal, 435 Magazine, and many other investment publications. Okay, so you hear these credentials, audience, you hear these credentials. She serves high net worth individuals, multi-generational families, trusts, and small to medium businesses to increase their wealth by creating investment portfolios that are based on their emotional risk tolerance, time horizon, the goals and standard of living. Okay, we're going to talk about what those terms mean later on in this broadcast. She is known for being one of Kansas City's influential women, Kansas City Business Journal's Women Who Mean Business, Forbes' five-star wealth manager, You Need to Know, and the Wall Street Journal's recognition of five-star wealth manager and Fortune's Women in Wealth. Okay, so I mean, I'm just blown away by your accolades and all that you've done, Ethel. The company's name, VZD, pays homage to her parents, Virgie and Zether Davis, who adopted her from the University of Kansas Hospital when she was five days old. She did not realize that her parents were in their mid-40s and chose adoption to create a hand-picked family, okay? So there's still hope for me. All right. <laughs> she, credits, <laughs> she credits her parents for supporting her career aspirations, plus acknowledging business and investment gurus from American Century, Fidelity Investments, Charles Schwab and Company, and Paragon Capital Management LLC for helping her to gain the knowledge and experience that led her to become a portfolio manager for the past 16 years. She has great expertise. VZD Capital Management LLC is rated as one of the top 18 financial advisors in the greater Kansas City community. 
Woo, what a resume. What a resume. Ethel, welcome to my Legacy Experience Podcast. I am so honored to be here. I'm very humble. Thank you. I'm happy to have you here. And I am just so delighted to, I've just had such support from so many allies of estate planning to come on this program and talk about their experience level and things that are near and dear to their heart. I don't just have professionals on this program. I have people that have a passion to oh, share their share their heart and their experience with the masses. So I just I thank you that. for coming. Thank you. Yes. It's yes. a great program. Your commitment uh, to the community and to the masses. I really honor you. You Thank are. you. Thank you. And so, audience, we are done with our love fest. And so we're going to get right into this information. And you'll want to take some notes. And maybe you'll want to rewind this from time to time, because this is going to be full of some good, good meat that you would need to digest. So, Ethel, I want to begin our conversation by discussing some of the basics of investments, because I think sometimes people just don't know where to start. So when we refer to investing in the stock market, what does that mean? And will you describe the type of companies that are traded on the stock market? Yes. When you hear the word investing, I want everyone to think of themselves as a consumer and that they're going to the grocery store and you usually start the produce and work your way through the store. Investing has that same mentality. What it is, is that you are buying stocks companies that you want to have ownership in. And as I tell people, you know, think about it. If you're a consumer, why do you choose Nike over Under Armour? Maybe because that's the one that you know the best. So when you ask investing in the stock market, it means that people want to have ownership in publicly traded companies or they want to have ownership in companies that are saying, can I borrow your money? And if you do, I'll pay you a certain percentage, which is a yield of income to allow you to borrow your principal, we'll give you interest. And when it comes due, we'll give you your money back. So there's uh, two sides of the stock market. There's the equity sides, which are stocks, publicly traded companies. And then there's the income side or the fixed income side where you're looking for just income, preservation of your capital, and you want to mitigate your risk. So when you're talking about investing in stocks, you're saying, I'll take on some risk because I want to look for some return coming back to me because I am an owner of Nike. I'm an owner of Amazon. That's what it means to invest in the stock market. You are owner into companies. That's very clear. And I think that analogy that you use of the grocery store will really hit home. Um, when we're talking about we're investing, so there's fixed income, there's equities, and then they we measure the yields or what you these returns. And often the S&P 500 is this benchmark for measuring the yields. Let's talk about what we mean by yields and what we mean by benchmarks to measure yields. 
So let's start with benchmarks. Benchmark is your barometer. So if you're cooking and you're following a recipe, the recipe says to cook it at 400 degrees. So you know that when you put whatever dish in the oven, you want to cook it at 400. Well, as investors, you need to know how is my company doing, but how you know that you have to have a benchmark. The S&P 500 is the most communicator of the most utilized benchmark because that one has 500 publicly traded companies. Okay. So that's a benchmark for equities. And as a financial professionals, that's the one we use because, again, it has 500 companies. Now, you might hear the Dow Jones Industrials. That's another one, especially if you're looking at the news. They'll say the Dow Jones today. Well, the Dow Jones have five, has only 30 of the biggest companies out there. So it's not as broad as the S&P 500 30 companies versus 500 companies. And that's why you'll hear the S&P mention more. Now, when it comes to yield, yield is traditionally, that word is used for fixing. Now, you can have dividend paying stocks, which they may say Apple pays a yield of 3.2. But most of the time when you hear yield, they're talking about fixed income like a CD. A certificate of deposit. It'll pay you a 2% yield. Okay. So yield is measured by, to be honest with you, the CPI, the consumer price index. And so that kind of tells you what your yield should be. But right now, I really want to stay because it's, it's kind of hard to, to go off on these tandem. So I'm going to stay on stock. So the S&P, Dow Jones, then you have the NASDAQ. And those are usually companies, they don't usually pay a dividend. Some do, but most don't. And then we have the Russell 2000, and that is a benchmark for small companies. So we have a lot of different indexes. There's over 5,000, but those are the ones you're going to hear the most. The Dow Jones, S&P 500, the NASDAQ, and the Russell 2000. That's what they say on TV. Very good. Very good. And that helped me to clear up some terminology that I may have been using incorrectly. So I also want to talk about, you alluded to companies, larger companies, smaller companies. Let's talk about the difference or distinguish between small cap and large cap. What does that terminology mean? Okay. So the terminology has to do with how big is the company. When you push all the parts together, I want you to think about a pie. When you're looking at the entire pie, how big is the pie? For example, a large cap is going to be a company that's usually $9 billion or greater as far as the value of the company, all the parts pushed together. For example, Amazon is a huge company. And every time the stock price goes up, the company gets bigger, bigger, and bigger. Well, then you have smaller companies, mid-caps, and a lot of times they're more on maybe the S&P or the NASDAQ. And those are companies that I would say is below that 
nine to five billion. They're usually below that, but they're still about five, probably about five to ten, somewhere in there. But let me give you a mid-sized company. A mid-sized company will be something that probably hasn't been around for as long. So for example, Facebook. When Facebook first came out, it was a new and so, therefore, it didn't go right away to this big company. It had to grow over time into that big company. Lately, during the pandemic, we've had companies that it's called initial public offering, meaning that they have never, they were never traded on the company, but the owners of the company says, hey, we want to get bigger. We want to offer our shares to the general public so that we can grow. So for example, um, you might have heard of Airbond. So basically that start that's a new company that started trading. And you know, because we're coming out of pandemic and we've been in our houses for a year, you know, they're saying, hey, we think this is a good time. People's gonna start traveling again. They wanna rent condominiums and houses. That's what Airbond does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then you have Bumble. Bumble was started by a woman who said, you know what? Women are single and they want to be in control of online dating. And so that's another new company. So those will be micro caps to small caps. Those are very initial companies. They haven't gained a lot of momentum, but they're growing. And maybe someday they will be up there with the Dow Jones with the S&P, they're not there yet. Very good, very good. And so when we talk about these different sizes of companies, we talk about you really provided a lot of clarity in terms of understanding companies that are in the IPO position, who are mid caps, who are uh, large caps. Let's talk about diversification at this point. When people hear the word diversify, they think about maybe their portfolio is comprised of not only equities, but maybe fixed income and maybe a variety of equities, not the same type of companies in the same sector. So can you talk about why it's important to diversify and what's the benefit of that practice? The first thing, diversification helps you to mitigate or minimize risk. Anytime you're in the stock market, you are taking on risk. So I don't want people to think the stock market is everything just goes up. No, that's why it's for long term. But when you talk about diversification, I always say this, no one wants to put all their eggs in one basket. Okay. So we talk, when I say diversification, I'm talking about, I want to be diversified from the large companies, medium companies, small companies, international, fixed income, and cash. Then I want to be diversified across those asset classes. So I want to be diversified in sectors. I want to have technology. I want to have healthcare. I want to have industrials. I want to have all the various sectors because, see, the market doesn't move in tandem. Everything does not go up because it's based on economics, supply and demand. So to give an example of that, we were in a pandemic for a year. 
So during that time as a portfolio manager, the people come to me and there's, I want to get this out. There's three type of investors. There's people who do it themselves. That's called self-directed. There's validators, people who do it and say, but I don't really know what I'm doing. So I may need to bounce some ideas off of you because I don't know. And then there's delegators that said, you know what? I don't have the temperament. I don't have the knowledge. So I'm going to hire someone to help me. So that's kind of who I serve the majority, but I serve the other two on my consulting side. So let me get that out. But to go back to this diversification in the pandemic, you have to think about it. If you're at home, what companies does it take you to stay at home? Technology? Mm -hmm. Zoom. Zoom was an IPO. It wouldn't have been something I would have bought. It doesn't meet my matrix or the criteria I use to pick companies. But in the pandemic, I knew Zoom was going to be a company we would have to have. How are we going to communicate? We're Zooming right now. Right, right. Okay. But then I knew if there is a virus and we don't know what it is, my mom used to always use Clorox. She didn't use a brand that said, I think I'm Clorox. I want to be Clorox. She used Clorox. Well, what is Clorox? Clorox is in the consumer discretionary. But then what kind of food? I pick food because that's a consumer stable. Everyone has to eat. Now, there's some of us who we like to go out to eat and we can go to the restaurants. So Uber decided, hey, DoorDash said, hey, we'll bring the food to you. Those would have been companies, yeah, in the pandemic, they're helping us to get along, okay? So sometimes depending on what the market's doing, just as consumers, you have to say, what would I buy to be in whatever environment we're in? Sometimes that's as easy as we can start. Buy what you know. Don't buy what you think you know. Buy, look around. It's buying opportunities around, but know these companies. Don't take somebody else's word. You go look and say, is that something I really need? Because that's what we're doing. We're fulfilling a need. So buy the different asset classes, buy all of the large, the medium, small, so you don't have all your eggs in one basket, and then make sure you diversify across the different sectors of the market too as well, because the market doesn't move up at the same time. When stocks are doing well, bonds are not. When stocks are not doing well, bonds are. So that's why you want to have it all. Yes, yes. And so when you're talking about those sectors, it sounds, and when we listen to the news, certain sectors sound more attractive than others, right? So we always hear about the FANG stock and how much they're making. And so, ooh, I should be heavily invested in FANG stock. Let's talk about that. Because honestly, based on the conversation or based on your comments, it doesn't sound like we should put all of our investment even if it is a sector that is doing extremely well. So let's talk about those things. Okay, I call it the sexy stocks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so because everyone wants to be a little sexy, okay? That's right, that's right. Yeah, so <laughs> the bang stocks is the sexy stocks because they're the ones Facebook, 
Google, the actual formal name is Alphabet. Amazon, Netflix. So those were some of the, uh, that's FANG, F-A-N-G, but I call it F-A-A-N-G because there's Apple. There's Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Yes. Okay. Those are all technology-driven stocks. Mm-hmm. So they would all be in the same sector. Is that They're correct? All, yeah, absolutely. But those are the big names we hear. They sound fun. We do Amazon Prime. We watch Netflix. We're scrolling on our Facebook. But wait a minute. Should I just hold those stocks? No. Mm-hmm. Because when they go down, like right now, They've been hit really hard. Yes. So you have to know when to get in and when to buy. So you might hear the word undervalue and overvalue. And you got to know when the price is at a premium or when it's below. And how you know that, I'm going to give one word and I want everyone to write it down. It's called PEG, P-E-G. You look at the price of the stock, you look at the earnings of the company and the growth, and if that number is too big, you sell, and the number is low and it's a good company, you buy it. Now, I know that sounds simple and it's not that simple, but as money managers, that's what we use to make those buy. But what about healthcare? We're in a pandemic. Right. I already had Moderna way before it came out. To say we're one of the leading pharmaceuticals to have the vaccine. I did not have Pfizer and I did not because I knew the other company had the money. It wasn't Pfizer. There was two. Pfizer joined another company. I bought the other company. Okay. 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 And just because I knew Pfizer didn't have the money, they were leveraged. Debt to equity was a little high for me. But then Johnson and Johnson came out with one. But what happened? Uh oh, six people. Right. A right. lot of people was like, uh-uh, I don't want Johnson and Johnson. Mm-hmm. But what about the ventilators? Who makes the ventilators? Makes the ventilators. What about the real estate that hospital and clinics are on? I bet they're not I bet they're not hurt for rent. No. no. I bet they're not. Okay. So you have to think about that. Now, let's talk about cars. Right now, we have an epidemic because the semiconductors, we can't get enough. Right. GM has shut down from February. They're saying they may come back open in in, uh, July, but they don't know because everybody needs semiconductors. Not just cars, but computers, your smartphone. Hmm. Hmm. So if supply, they can't get enough, maybe that's something we want. Right. Okay, so see how the mind has to keep up with current events to kind of understand, wait a minute, they're saying they can't get enough semiconductor. Maybe I should be in that. So it can move. That's why there you have to either know that you're active investor or you're passive mm-hmm. if you're passive then just buy an index because that way you can buy the S&P you can buy the Dow Jones and let it just do what the market does you're on about 
But if you're going to be buying these individual companies, you got to stay up on it. That's why a lot of people's like, look, I got to go to work. I don't have time to do that. That's right. Yeah, so you do that, okay? Or find yourself that advisor that you have a good rapport and let them help you to do that. So that, you know, again, this is not monopoly money. This is money you're working hard for and you're looking for a return. You always are expecting. We all expect something. Yes. So we don't want to put our money in something and gamble. When you heard about GameStop, that's gambling. That's speculation. I told him, go to the boat. Put your money in a slot machine because that's what that's doing. That company was not profitable. But everybody was talking. And so when they all put their money in, it pushed the price up, but it wasn't real. It's artificial. Yeah. So that's a different than investing. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I think at that time, a lot of people were chasing the returns because they knew, even though it was artificial, but they knew that they could get a return, sell it and make some money quickly. There's two things is that. And then a lot of people do not understand cryptocurrency. Yes. And so anything that comes new to the market, it's not regulated then now you have the commissioners, the security and exchange commissioners and the state commissioners saying, wait, wait a minute, this is going wrong. So now they're going to have new restrictions because you probably heard when they were trading GameStop, there was so much volume going in that company. It halted trading. People could get out. So that's the kind of things you have to be concerned about when it's not real. You can really get hurt. And I've seen people lose all their money. And because we were at home mm-hmm. and because we were working at home mm-hmm. and we had time on our hands and we were on the internet and people got in those chat rooms and everybody, that's when a lot of things happen. But that doesn't mean it's right for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I know that I work in trust administration and I work in estate planning. And while we have a very robust team of wealth advisors, I'm not a wealth advisor. I am probably the passive investor that you're talking about. But for me, it is important for me to get uh, expertise and have someone guide me through my investments. They'll get to know my risk tolerance and they know my horizon for investing. And when I say horizon, I'm talking about the timeline in which I'm trying to invest and what my goals are going to be in that time horizon. And so that's what you need to start with. Yes. And so I look to professionals like Ethel for that type of help and guidance. So let's talk about time horizons. You said that's where we start. So if we have some novice investors on this call or listening to this podcast, what should they consider as they're trying to create portfolios and look at their allocation? Because I think it would look very different if they're 28 as opposed to 48. So let's talk about that time horizon. Well, I'll give you a general rule of thumb. It's not 100%. But you take 100% minus somebody's age. So if I'm 50, then I would put 50% in a stock and 50% in fixed income. 
Okay. So that's kind of one rule of thumb. Then the second one is how much do I need? See, it's like you're putting in an address in your navigational system. If you don't have a destination point, how do you know where you're going? So I usually tell people, take, look at the last 10 years of your work income. We are W-2 or you're self-employed. Look at that. How much did you make? And times it by 10. So if I make $50,000, by the time that I want to retire, let's say I decide I want to retire at 66 because Social Security is a big jump between 62 and 66. So that means that I have, if I'm 50 and I want to retire at 66, I need to have $500,000 by that amount of time. So then that helps me to say, okay, how much do I need to save? I already know how many years I have. Now, what is my tolerance for risk? Am I the type of person I'm looking every day at my account? If so, my risk tolerance is low. And how we measure risk with stocks, um, word called beta, B-E-T-A. That number predicts how that stock, that company is going to either follow the S&P 500 or whatever index. So if you're low, 1% is in the middle. If you're low, it should be less than 1%. If you're high, it can be above 1%. If you're in a mutual fund, they have five quadrums. So you want to be on the low side. So that's going to be fixed income or what is called a balance fund asset allocation fund because it's already going to have a 60-40% split amongst stocks and bonds. So you have to take into all those factors and it really helps when you have someone that's extracting that out of you to say, okay, let's really sit down and develop a roadmap based on you, not based on your neighbor, not based on this. That's why I don't have models. I don't have a cookie cutter. Because I know that when I go in a clothing store, if I wear a size 10, and I'm fibbing on this call, this podcast, because I don't wear a size 10. But let's say I said I did. And I go to put on a size 10 dress and I can't fit in it. But you said you're a size 10 and you're going, and dress is too big. The same analogy can apply to investing. We can be the same age, but again, if my risk tolerance is not where yours is, I shouldn't have the same companies. Mm-hmm. And that's why with every client, we extract all of that out and we document that so we know exactly what we're going to buy for you to make sure it fits your legacy. That's how, to me, estate planning And portfolio development, creation of wealth, that's how it all interlocks. Because your portfolio should model your legacy. Not mine, yours. And I think that customization is so important because I think people think there's this set formula and we're always going to get the same return. And if this is what uh, my parents did, this is what I should do, or this is what my neighbor did. And not realizing that not only our risk tolerance, but maybe the amount of capital that we have to invest is different. 
Maybe you may think someone is your age, but they are not. I just think it's a very dangerous practice to compare with one. I don't believe in comparisons. Absolutely. We're running our own race. We're, We're leading our own legacies. And that's the whole goal of this conversation, that you decide what type of financial legacy you would like to leave. It's like our DNA. Well, we're all humans, all different backgrounds, ethnicities. No one's DNA is the same. Yes. So if you think about your portfolio as your DNA, because when you think of legacy, it's more than just about the zeros. Yes. It's about the heroes. Mm. What do you want your legacy to be about? Do you want to be able to say that, guess what? I can give you money for your charity. Because I have enough. Mm-hmm. What do you, or do do you want to set up an educational trust so that long after you're gone, you're still paying for your family to get higher education? Mm-hmm. That's what legacy is. It is about those core values that was passed down from generation to generation. Maybe you came from a long line of entrepreneurs and you want your children to have that same experience. What about bringing them in your company and teaching them from a young age? This is what mom and daddy does. Maybe it's about showing them how to do their own TV shows. Maybe it's about sitting down talking about money. Yes. Budgeting. Yes. Deeds from wants. No matter how much money you make, you can always save some if you decide this is what I need. This is just a want. I don't have to have it. That's what we need to have more conversations about. Absolutely. And there are some people really doing some remarkable work in that space. Um, I think just I'll be very candid with you. As I was growing up, my mother talked about protection. She worked in an insurance company. And so she talked about life insurance to me. She began talking to me about investing, but that was an anomaly. I know that there were a lot of people that weren't having those kinds of conversations in their home. I knew that my mother lived below her means. I knew that because... I was privy to some information in terms of her finances and we would go through her tax returns and I knew she lived below her means, not really understanding why. Being honest, I kind of despised it a little when I was growing up because I always said my mother is cheap, but I understood that she was frugal for a reason. She taught me a lot about discipline when it comes to money. I don't have to buy everything that I see and everything that I want. And that there's some value in saying no to our flesh so that we can say yes to something else. That there may be a young person that I can bless or a charity that I can uh, give to, just as you said. And so I think having those conversations in the home is important. It's something that I think in our community we shied away from because we thought that's a personal matter. We don't like to talk about health and we don't like to talk about money. And so I think this is giving an opportunity to hear about different, not only terminology, but different approaches to life 
and money that maybe well, someone had never heard before. It's a mindset. It is. It's a mindset because number one, I grew up, as you said, I grew up in a home that I was adopted and my parents actually, I was raised on a farm. So raised on a farm, we grew all of our vegetables. We had animals that we would uh, take to the butchers. So we didn't go to the grocery store. My parents, even though I thought they were rich because, again, they had a lot of land. But what I realized is there's a difference between frugal and cheap. Yes. That's two things where frugal just means I'm going to make the best financial decision based upon my wants and my needs. Yes. Cheap is I'm going to manipulate in some way. Because I just don't want to do, this is mine. Yes. And when you're like that, you're closed off to abundance and prosperity. Absolutely. Say that again. So when you're like this, this is mine. I'm not going to share it. It's mine. You are being cheap. Because now nothing can be blessed. If you put that dollar in your pocket 10 years from now, that's still going to be $1. And what you could have bought 10 years ago, now you can't because it costs more than a dollar. But frugal is saying, I want to just live what I need versus what I want. Because I want to be able to afford my daughter to go to college. Or I want to be able to give my church this amount of money. I want to be able to plant seeds in fertile grounds that I believe in. And I'm not going to just be a consumer spending my money just because it's what I want, regardless of how much I make. That's right. That is right. You know, this was a conversation about investments, but it was also a conversation about faith and legacy. I have just been blown away. We've talked about the different investment allocations. We've talked about the different sectors, the need to diversify. We've talked about benchmarks and distinguishing between indexes as they apply to fixed income. And we talked about yields. I have just been richly blessed by this conversation. I think that this has given a good foundation for our audience to begin having not only the conversation, but then taking some action and beginning to invest. If you have never invested, if you're in the Kansas City, Missouri area, I am going to have Ethel's information in the show notes, but we've got to uh, get involved. My legacy experience audience, we have got to get involved because there is wealth to be built. There are dreams that we need to pursue and there are people and organizations that we need to bless. And we can only do that if we have the financial resources to do so. So Ethel, please, are there some final thoughts that you want to leave with our audience? You have so richly blessed us. And I just want you to summarize some final thoughts for us today. Summary to each and every one of you, no matter where you are in your journey, look up at the word wealth and it does not have any zeros. 
the word wealth does not say million dollars. It don't say a hundred dollars. It don't. Wealth starts with the mind. And the mind, we are wealthy because we're living. And whatever we did yesterday, whatever we did years ago, we can stop today and say, I'm not living that life anymore. You can have, everyone can have financial independence regardless of how much money you make. Yes. I've seen people that made very little money and they amassed a lot of wealth because it's what you do with it. Yes. It's where do you plant your seeds? And then start with the end result in mind, like my dear Stephen Covey. If you know what your legacy is, then go backwards. Mm -hmm. I know what mine is. Mm -hmm. I want to help reshape. And so I got in this industry 30 years ago because just like you, I came from, but we didn't talk about wealth. We didn't talk about money. It was that subject matter that was just like reproduction. It was not talked about. Mm -hmm. But it's not a secret. It's something our children, our grandchildren, they need to know it. Yeah. Why not let us teach it? It's not in the schools. It's not in the colleges. They don't know what budgeting is. They don't know what savings is. They don't know. So it's up to us. Let us be. Let's join hands together like we have this evening to say, I'm going to drive a stake in the ground and I believe in you. And I believe in all of you that you are worthy and deserving of wealth. I don't care what mom and daddy said you were. I don't care what the world says you are. I'm saying it. You are enough. You're beautiful. You're talented. You're educated. Whatever it is. Don't matter if you fought, finished college or you have a first grade education. You can build wealth. You might have to learn some things. You might have to ask questions, but don't benchmark against anybody else. Find that in you. That's my final. That is so inspiring. And I am just so overjoyed again, Ethel, for you joining us this evening. This has been just a great, wonderful, informative conversation, but I just feel the passion in your communication. I feel the earnestness about you and that's what our audience will hear when they hear this podcast. So thank you again for joining thank me today. You for having me. And thank you for being that trailblazer, for charting your own path with estate planning. It's very much, it's necessary. If we didn't learn anything coming through the pandemic, we need you. So thank I you. thank you thank for you. having the vision to do a podcast about this. And I wish you all the blessing that your hands and your heart can hold. Amen. Amen. This has been My Legacy Experience, a discussion about investments with Ethel J. Davis, CEO and Portfolio Manager of BZD Capital Management, LLC. Thank you and have a good day. God bless.